Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Raise your hand, this is not Simon Says, if you've ever given up something for Lent. Really, Rob? I thought you would be the one person who gave up something for Lent. People give up chocolate, they give up TV, they give up a lot of their favorite things. And today, on the first Sunday in Lent, I'm going to challenge you to not put something down, not give something away, but to pick something up. Now, I want you to hold that thought, and we'll come back to that at the end of the sermon. But what did Satan ask Jesus to do? He asked him to prove that he was the Son of God. Did you hear what he said? Each time he said, if you are the Son of God, then do this. And I want you to hear this. Jesus said, I am the Son of God, and I'm not doing that. Satan was not trying to get Jesus to sin. He was trying to get him to stop being the perfect Son of God. The goal was not to make him a sinner. The goal was to make him less than what God called him to be. He wanted to do the loaves or the test of God's word or worship a false God. But today, we are all tempted, and we're all tempted in many ways. I found this list of temptations. It should make you worry a little bit. We're surrounded by temptations, the author writes, on a tight budget and watching your weight. Dollar menus at the fast food joints tempt us to binge on a pile of cheap, fatty, overprocessed foods. Now, Pastor Wiki's making a face, but have you seen the meme that says, we will always be fat if cheeseburgers are a dollar and salads are 11? <laughs> the beauty of the internet? It contains everything. The curse of the internet? It contains everything. At the touch of a button, good information is available. At the touch of a button, there's an endless supply of garbage, gossip, pornography, violence, and hate. Cell phones keep us in touch no matter where we are. Cell phones tempt us to never be anywhere but on our phones. A car gives its recipient freedom, responsibility, and great possibilities. But that first car for a teenager tempts them to head to the mall instead of the library, to drive too fast, or to show off at the wheel. What's a poor sinner to do? Now, I preached at King's a, a few years back a sermon called It's Not the Cookie's Fault. You may remember that. And uh, I, I believe Vicki made us some cookies that day. And they smelled wonderful and they taste wonderful. And many people, when they're tempted, want to blame the tempting object, the person or the action, rather than take blame for giving in to the temptation themselves. Now, I got to tell you, there is a wealth of information in this sermon today. And some pa pastors are going to talk about Jesus' response, which was the word of God. He didn't argue with the devil. He didn't overwhelm the devil. He pretty much said, God's word says this, go away. Some people are going to preach on the power of God's word. Some sermons are going to talk about God's power versus willpower. 
that we can't do it on our own. Do you remember perhaps when you were a little child and you got in trouble more than you should and you woke up one day and you said, today is the day. Today is the day I'm not going to do anything wrong. And it lasted till breakfast when you fought with your sister over the Cheerios. Not that that ever happened to me personally, right? But we've all tried that. You know what? I, I'm going to do it right today. Today's the day. I'm going to start off on the right foot. God's power is always going to be better than willpower. Some sermons will remind us that trials and testing make us stronger. Now, all of those, all of those topics are valuable. They're from Scripture. And they're going to be preached by pastors that feel that that's the message their congregation needs to hear today. But today I feel that we should be led in a different direction because Satan did not so much come that Jesus do something, but that he changed who he was. Here's what I, a quote I found. The ultimate temptations in life are not those that push you to do things you aren't supposed to do, but to be a person you weren't made to be. The devil wasn't tempting Jesus to take the edge off his hunger by turning stones into bread. He was tempting the Son of God to replace his table relationship to God with fast food. During the season of Lent, instead of giving up some indulgence, some temptation to do, what if we were to take on something? Well, what would that look like? And I... Before I started preparing this sermon, I, I was going through my library and I realized I hadn't read the book In His Steps in a while. One of my favorite books, you know that because I, I talk about it several times a year, but I just reread In His Steps. And you may remember the story of Pastor Maxwell, felt led to call his congregation to make a pledge. And he asked them to ask before they made any decisions for a year to say, what would Jesus do? And you've seen it on bracelets, and you've seen it on bumper stickers, Bible covers, WWJD. Well, the story is told of a pastor who won a motorcycle gang member to Christ, and he had all the patches from his motorcycle gang, and over on the shoulder, he had one that said WWJD. And the pastor said, I don't understand. You weren't a Christian when you got that patch. And the motorcycle rider bowed his head and he said, uh, everybody was getting it and I thought it meant, who wants Jack Daniels? <laughs> but the people in the book took a pledge. Now, you know, I work with Christian Endeavor and uh, if you should get a copy of In His Steps, they're going to refer to the Endeavor Society several times throughout the book. They refer to Endeavor Societies. That's what today we call Christian Endeavor. And in 1881, Francis Clark felt that his young people, and in those days, young people were 21 and under, because you remember you weren't allowed to drink until you're 21, vote until you're, all those things. So a young adult was anybody under the age of 21. He called them to his house, and they had an impromptu youth group meeting at his house. And he, re, re, he unveiled a pledge. And he said, I want you to sign this pledge, and I want you to live the way that 
you're supposed to. And here's what the pledge said. I actually brought a copy of my CE pledge card. It says, trusting the Lord Jesus Christ for strength, I endeavor to live for him boldly, make it the practice of my life to pray and study God's word daily, serve others freely, share my faith openly, worship God in my church regularly, and humbly lead his cause for my generation. His young people signed the pledge. Now that's an updated version of the pledge. The one I learned, the last line said, and just so far as I know how, I will endeavor to lead a Christian life, hence the Endeavor Societies. His church explodes. Young people are living the life they're supposed to live. They're taking part in worship. The, the church is growing, and the pastor in the next town over says, yo, what'd you do? And he said, it's the pledge, and unintentionally began a movement that within 10 years covered the entire country, and within 20 years covered the entire world. The pastor who did my wedding is the general secretary of Christian Endeavor, and he literally goes around the world visiting and supporting Christian Endeavor societies. Last month, he was in Samoa, and this skinny, very pale white guy was dressed in the sarong and, the, and going to all the traditional Christian Endeavor activities in Samoa. There are some wonderful and hilarious pictures of Pastor Dave going around the world because people pick something up rather than put something down. Deny yourself, Jesus said. Pick up your cross and follow me. What has, what does, what will your faith in Jesus cost you? That's the real question for today. See, we sit in a seesaw. Now, I grew up with British parents they sat in a teeter-totter, but we sit in a seesaw. And on one side, we have the publican openly admitting his inability to reach God on his own in his sinfulness. And on the other side, we have the Pharisee who says, uh, I'm in church. Look at all my neighbors that didn't go to church today. I put money in the plate. I'm doing this. I'm doing that and trying to work their way to heaven. But who are we and who are you as a believer? Well, let's go back to our Bible story. There's two viewpoints of yourself, and I want you to hear this. And I prepared this Sunday school class before we watch the video. The first thing is, who has God created you to be? Now, I know that you, when you were younger, had some ideas, often physical attributes, my dad was six foot tall. <laughs> you can't see it, but I'm jumping to try to reach six foot. And I thought for sure you outgrow your dad. Nobody happened to tell me that adopted kids don't outgrow their adopted dads. My birth father is five foot six. Compared to him, I'm a giant. Compared to my adopted dad, I'm pretty short. Right? Some people want dark hair or different colored eyes or fatter or thinner. And we, we have ideas uh, changing who God made us to be. And hear this. We're not going to be happy with who God made us to be as a believer if we're never happy with who God made us to be as just a physical human being. I got to tell you. 
I'm 62 years old. And I'm very happy to be built like a tenor. And every time I go to get my new costume, she goes, I know, you're built like a tenor. I am, and you know why? Because I'm a tenor. I love to sing. I love to bring glory to God. And if you know anything about singing, this is the way tenors are built. I have absolutely no Adam's apple. Why? Because my vocal cords are smaller than most men. I have a barrel chest. Why? Because I need that space to resonate. And you can't see this, but my sinuses are bigger than yours. What you say? Yes, uh, the Italians call it the mask. This is where the sound of your voice is made. And if I weren't put together exactly like this, I wouldn't sound the way God made me to sound. And I got to tell you, there are times as a pastor, I wish I had that deep resonant voice. You know, that Presbyterian voice, let's all stand and read the word of God. It ain't happening, right? <laughs> But who did God create you to be? He created me to be a pastor. He created me to be a therapist. He created me to be a dad. He created me to be a school teacher. And all those things that I do, I do well because God created me to do them. It was pointed out to me the other day at school that I have a role that I never really thought about as sort of a surrogate father. A lot of the children in my district come from families where there is not a strong, loving man. And when those little kids hug me and get ketchup all over my pants, Tuesday, a little first grader barnacled me, ran up and planted himself right on my right leg. Well, she had must have just opened a ketchup packet and it had gone all down her front. So I, I had a, a line of ketchup down my leg. You know what? Ketchup comes out in the laundry. That kid needed a hug from a man that she appreciated and uh, honored and respected. And that man happened to be me. And I'll wear ketchup for that. Who has God created you to be? The second thing is, and I, I want you to hear this. This is the harder one. Who does Satan, the world, and yes, our sinful nature, tempt us to be? Where do you put your energy? Where do you put your efforts? Are you building up the kingdom? Are you building up your bank account? Are you building up the body of Christ? Are you building up your employees at work? Now, neither one of those is wrong, but one of those can take away from the other. Now, if you need a sermon on temptation, and I sent this quote to my son, I'm just going to quote Martin Luther and get the temptation part of the sermon over with. Martin Luther used to have a terrible time with temptation, he used to live a life of sin and debauchery and a life as far away from God as you could get until he not only came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but then surrendered his life to him. When someone asked Martin Luther later in life, how do you handle temptation? Martin Luther said this. It's very simple. When Satan would knock on the door of my heart, I used to answer. And every time I did, he would defeat me. But now when Satan knocks on the door of my heart, the Lord Jesus answers and says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he moved out. I live here now and the devil flees. Filled with the spirit, armed with scripture and helped by the Savior, we can always know what to do 
when we're tempted. However, I'd like to revisit the idea of taking on something for rent, for Lent, rather than giving up something. I want you to hear this. This is not a call for you to do more. And it's not a call for you to read more or give more or pray more. It's a play on words, but I want you to hear this. It's a call to be more loving. It's a call to be more caring, more giving, more sharing. A call to live as an example of a life that was changed. Don't do it just because the pastor said to do it. Do it because you want to be more like Jesus. Stephen Covey, in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, has a habit called Begin With The End In Mind. And we've talked about this before. He says, imagine your funeral, and there's four speakers at your funeral, a family member, a close friend, a co-worker, and a member of an organization in which you were a member. Think about what you would like them to say about you and then live that way. I'd like to change it a little for today's sermon. I want you to imagine four lives that were impacted by your ministry. Actual hands-on, in the trenches, get your hands dirty, costly, sacrificial, life-changing, extremely significant ministry. Let's take this time of Lent to ask God to help us be the people he made us to be and to do the ministry he created us to do. I don't care if you use a CE pledge. I don't care if you use a WWJD pledge. I don't care if you use the Great Commission, go and baptize and teach. You know what I care about? I care about that you do something. Now, for those of you that are taking notes, here's the last page and the four steps I'd like you to think about. Step one, open your heart to God's possibilities. I don't think I need to say anything more about that. Open your heart to God's possibilities. Second thing, earnestly seek God's heart for you. What does God want for you in your life? Number three, you know this is coming, pledge to become the person God created you be, to be, build the ministry God created you to build, and bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the fourth step is know the difference between I need to, I'm going to, and I am. Napoleon Hill once said a goal is a dream with a deadline. I was uh, talking to a friend the other day and he's actually put in the back of his church on the way out a, uh, a business card holder and it says, who are you bringing to church next week? And the little cards are an invitation to his church. So you've got a neighbor and you know that their car doesn't move when you leave in the morning and it's in the same place when you come back in the afternoon. You take their name and you put it on the card and you pray for them and then what do you do with the card? You give it to them. You invite them to church. Who are you going to bring to church next week? What ministry would you like to build in this church? How would you like to fill 
this building for Jesus. This Lenten season become more like your Savior and the person and minister you were created to be. Amen. Call it a mission, call it a life statement, call it a pledge. If you've never made the decision to live for Christ and to let him live through you, make today that day. If you've made that decision and you've never stepped out in faith, make today that day. And if you have a dream, a goal, a leading, a calling, and a need to pray with someone as to where to go next, our first pew is open during the last hymn. Come forward and let us pray with you. Amen.